Good morning. Well, that was lively. That's great. Uh, Good to be with you on site and also for those joining us online. My name is Matt. I'm the lead pastor here, and we're glad uh, that you are with us. Um, Before we jump in uh, to our second week of the comparison trap, um, I just want to uh, share a little bit more, uh, kind of extend the announcement section here um, and and share about an exciting uh, thing that is coming up in the near future. And that, uh, that thing is happening October 21st and 22nd. Everybody say October 21st. October 21st. So this has been a uh, part of a conversation that's been going on actually for quite some time. Um, we are part of a denomination, which is just a really uh, churchy word that means church family. We're part of a larger church family that goes beyond the walls of SunWest. And, and that church family that we're part of is the MB denomination or the Mennonite Brethren denomination. And if you're freaked out that you showed up at a Mennonite church and you have no idea what that means, well, go to the Discovering, or the Discovering Sun Western Starting Point class and we can uh, talk about how it's not as weird as you might think. Uh, but uh, that's the church family that we're a part of. And uh, we are a part of uh, that family and there are uh, colleges and seminaries that are part of that. Uh, and we have been dreaming as a church family, uh, both at SunWest and, and beyond SunWest, about what it looks like uh, to do discipleship, which means becoming more like Jesus, learning, growing uh, better. Uh, and in the past number of years, the churches have worked quite separately. Our colleges, our seminaries work quite separately. And we've been dreaming about what it might look like to bring those worlds uh, together. And so we've been talking with our MB Seminary, which is located in uh, Langley, BC, which is where I went to school uh, for my graduate uh, degree. Uh, And uh, they uh, have dreamt up this idea of having uh, kind of hubs and teaching churches. Uh, And so the whole idea is instead of, uh, you know, training being for a select few, you know, professional Christians, pastors, missionaries, etc., you know, we believe that we should all be growing and learning um, about God and who we are in Christ and our ability to do ministry better because God has called us all into ministry. So uh, the dream has been, how do we kind of get this more local? Uh, And so the the seminary has talked about this idea of teaching churches, and, and the dream is to have different hubs and places throughout Canada uh, where local, the local church could actually be equipped for ministry. Uh, and they were looking at a place to do that in Alberta, and there was a natural partnership with SunWest. Uh, and so we are going to be uh, what they refer to as a teaching church for them, uh, for the MB Seminary here at SunWest. Uh, and this is going to do, uh, this is exciting for a few reasons. Uh, and let me just outline what those reasons are. Uh, if you are just someone who wants to grow and learn uh, and get training from people that have spent maybe their lives studying certain ideas or topics, uh, this is accessible to you. If you're someone who's undergrad, uh, maybe you're going to Ambrose, uh, you can actually take classes here at your home church, uh, which will be applicable to your undergrad degree. Maybe you've been interested in pursuing graduate studies, and you can also take uh, the courses here. It's a weekend course, but then there's homework depending on which kind of path you take uh, that will go towards a graduate degree. And so they have four different levels of engagement depending on how, what level you want to engage in. Uh, and so I just want to show you very quickly how easy this is to sign up on which date? October 
Very good. You're listening. Uh, we got our awesome tech crew in the back. And so if you go to sunwestchurch.com, that's our website. You'll see a homepage that looks something like this. And you go to events. And when you go down to events, there'll be uh, MB Seminary. You'll see that on the list of events. And you just simply go to this button and you click register. Everybody say register. That's so easy, right? Once you register, you're going to be brought to uh, the MB Seminary page. And you'll see uh, on this page... Uh, there's Mark. Hi, Mark. Uh, Mark's a friend of mine. He's actually going to be teaching the class on October 21st. He's the president of the seminary. Uh, excited to have him here. Uh, and if you scroll down, you'll see three columns. So if you are an undergrad uh, or you are looking for graduate studies, you're going to click on that first column. And if you click on the first column, you'll go down and you'll see uh, there's the course there. And you are in Calgary, just so you know, not Abbotsford. So don't click on the Abbotsford course, click on the Calgary course. Uh, and you'll see, first step, begin your graduate study application or your undergrad study application. You can click there. So I, just before we move on, if this is you, um, you want to do this quickly because there's actually pre-work that you have to do before the weekend. Uh, and so you want get to get started with that as soon as you are able to. Uh, and I was also told by Mark this past week, if it's the first course that you're registering with with the seminary, you get $400 off your first course, um, which is significant. And the courses are already less than you're probably play, paying at whatever uh, college or university you're at right now. So just so you know, check that out. Uh, the majority of you, I think, are probably thinking, well, I don't want to do graduate work around a graduate work. That's perfect. If you go back up, go to continuing ed. Um, you could actually work towards a diploma. And so this is a diploma that our seminary would give you. Um, it doesn't really mean a lot, uh, but uh, you get a, you'll get a nice piece of paper at the end that says you completed a certain amount of courses and it'll look good on your wall. Um, and so they have a few diplomas that they're doing. So this is part of a four-course diploma. Uh, and so if you want to kind of have all four courses that we're going to be offering over uh, the next couple of years in mind, you might want to do the, the diploma, which means there's going to be homework involved. Okay, and so that is obviously less money than the graduate or undergraduate credit. Making sense so far? Okay, now if any of you are like me, you're like, I don't want homework. Uh, Last thing I want is homework. You're going to be the third column. Uh, Personal interest, uh, and so sometimes this is referred to auditing, of course. So basically, you just show up for the weekend, October 21st, 22nd. Uh, You'll get all the classroom teaching um, by... uh, by our friends the, and our professors at the seminary. Um, and so you get the content, uh, but you don't, you're not required to do any extra work. Uh, can I get an amen for some people? Uh, and that's obviously the cheapest option. And so we're excited to have this here. We're excited to host uh, other churches and folks that might be coming from Saskatchewan, Alberta, that are looking for uh, training more close to home. And so we're going to be doing that October 21st and 22nd. Um, if finances are a, if you, is this something you're like, I would love to do this. Uh, I'm not sure how to make it work financially. Uh, we want to equip you uh, as much as we can. So please come talk to one of our staff members and we can have that conversation about what it might look like for you to be able to engage in that class. Capiche? Thumbs up. All right. Um, go to the Welcome Center if you've got more questions. The comparison trap. Uh, this is, we're in week two, and our topic uh, this morning, uh, the, the sermon title is Looking Around. Um, and this past week, I was reading a news article, and I came across this article. Uh, I don't know if you have heard of this. I had not heard of this. Uh, 
But we're quite familiar with all sorts of cosmetic surgeries that uh, many folks are doing these days. Um, but there's, this is a new one for me, that there's actually a surgery out there right now where you can make yourself taller. Uh, I don't know if you've heard this. I, um, this, was, this was news to me, and so I was reading about this. Uh, and so there, there's, there's many people, and it's, it's most common among men. I don't think it's, uh, it's not exclusive to men, but it's most common among men who would like to be taller than they are. Uh, and so they, uh, for anywhere between $75,000 to $200,000 U.S., you can make yourselves anywhere from one to six inches taller. Um, and so you might be wondering, how did they do this? Well, they actually uh, go and break your femur, and they add more bone into your femur up to a maximum of three inches to both femurs, uh, and it takes about a year to recover. Uh, if you want an extra, if you want more inches than that, they break your tibia and they add uh, lengths to your tibia. Uh, so yeah, your proportions might be a little bit off, uh, <laughs> but you'll be taller than you were. And this this particular article I was reading was talking about a a, a man who was a five foot nine, uh, and it, the well known fact is that the average height of a male is five foot ten. Uh, in the Western world, the average height of male is five foot ten. So he was below average, uh, and he wanted to be above average, uh, and so he paid hundred thousand dollars to get his t- uh, femur broken, uh, to add two inches, to go from five nine to five eleven and a half, so he could be above average. Now. We, we, we look at that, I mean, I read that story, and I'm like, are this, is this for real? Like, are people actually doing this? Uh, but then when you take a step back, you say, this actually shouldn't surprise us. We, we're living in a world and a culture that everybody is striving to be noticed. Everybody is striving to be above average. Everybody is looking next to them to try and figure out where they are in life, how they're doing, if they're successful. Are they where they thought they should be? Are they where they should be? And the only way we really know how to do that, and increasingly so in our culture, is to look around us and say, am I doing better than them? Well, I'm not doing quite as good as them, so i got to up my game, etc. And so this should not surprise us. And it might not be height that you're worried about, but it might be something else. But I think we can all relate to this idea of identifying an area in our life where we feel below average. And we say, how do I get above average? How do I, how do I make myself more valuable, more acceptable, more noticeable? And so we go to drastic lengths to do this, and I think this is just a micro picture of what that can lead to. And so for many of you, we look to other things uh, to figure out how, how are we doing in life. And so you might look to your neighborhood and think about, you know, am I in the neighborhood that I should be in? You know, maybe you, you bought a house in a particular neighborhood because that was the dream neighborhood. You're like, if once I make it to that neighborhood, I've made it. I am above average. Or maybe you look at friends that are in that neighborhood and you're like, if I could just get there, you know, if I could just move out of the neighborhood I'm in and if I get into that neighborhood, you know, they're living the life. They got a lake, okay? They got single attached homes. They got garages. If I could, if I could get there, they got lawns. Do you see the size of those lawns in that neighborhood? If I could get there, then I would be above average. Maybe you look at other people's kids, and you're like, you start to compare your kids. 
Maybe you're projecting things onto your kids and you weren't as good of a student as you wanted to be. So you think, well, my my student uh, should be a better student than I am. Or maybe you were a great student and you think that's the bar that your kids have to get. So they have to become uh, better better students. Maybe you're looking at their, their friends. Are my friends with the above average friends? Should we trade their friends in to get new friends? Should I, should I coordinate a play date with cool friends' parents to get my kids with the cool kids? Uh, maybe your kids are going to college, and you're like, man, so-and-so's kids are going to that college, and that's a far better college than the one my kids are going to. Or maybe you're like putting propaganda up in their room as they're growing up of what college they're going to go to, and they don't have a choice. It was the college you went to, or it's the college you've dreamt about, uh, but we're living vicariously through our kids comparing our kids to other kids, thinking we have some kind of value as parents based on how our kids do. We do all sorts of weird things. Maybe you're looking at siblings or friends, a brother, a sister, a brother-in-law, or sister-in-law. Maybe it gives you a sense of satisfaction uh, when you are better at something than that brother-in-law. You know, I got a brother-in-law who is an amazing cook, amazing cook. And every time we go to family dinner, it's... You know, oh, so-and-so, uh, he, he goes to SunWest, so I'm not, I gotta, be careful I'm not saying names. Oh, uh, uh, Donovan is an amazing cook, um, and I can make craft dinner. That's like, that's like my level, um, and he's doing like five-course meals, pairing wines with different foods, and um, I just like sink in my chair at family dinners. You know, maybe you look at siblings, uh, at in-laws, and you're like, man, if I could just be above average and improve their... Um, maybe there are people, you got friends that make you feel like you got to step it up and do a better job at X or Y, and you feel like you're falling behind, that you're below average. Maybe you look in the mirror, or so your bank account. Maybe you look in the bank account, uh, and I think this is uh, obviously not to be over-stereotypical, but it seems to me that men, in general, put a lot of worth on how much is in their bank account, how much income they make, what level they've reached in their career. It's so much about money, profession, career, the corporate ladder. It can become intoxicating, and it can take over our life and our focus uh, by worrying and thinking about this so much. You know, you think you got enough in your bank account until you start hanging with friends that have more. You're like, well, maybe I am not above average. Or like I said, maybe you're looking in the mirror. There's a sense of validation that, you know, you look the way you wanted to look or you got to the weight that you wanted to get to. Um, You know, you're comparing yourself with other people that you see on Instagram. We're infatuated with the mirror. So I don't know which one of these things, you know, might not be breaking your femurs and growing three inches that appeals to you. But my guess is there's something in this list or maybe something else uh, that you look to as a measuring stick to whether you are ahead or behind, above average or below average. So what we're going to do as we get started this morning is I just want you to turn to your friend and tell them where you look to for affirmation. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. (laughs) Some of you are about to walk out of here. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, we say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they are not. They are proud of being richer or cleverer, or better looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich, or clever, or good looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. And we talked about this last week, we talked about the land of Ur. We are always trying to be better, richer, happier. 
And so our sense of self, our sense of value, our sense of worth is actually tied not to ourselves, but to those around us. And because the truth is we all have a little voice in our head that tells us that you need more of what they have to be respectable, to be acceptable, and to be lovable. And in fact, these are the questions that drive our marketing culture, our consumer culture. Is, is there's millions and billions of dollars that are put together to make you feel not respectable, acceptable, or lovable. Our whole consumer machine is based on this. And, and if we can feel a sense of lack, if we can feel a sense of being below average, uh, then we will be more likely to go to extreme lengths, extreme spending, extreme living, extreme risk-taking uh, to be above average. And so we often look at people and we're like, ah, if I was just like that, then I'd be more acceptable, more lovable, more respected. And then we go and talk to those people and we get to know those people and we realize, hey, they're just as messed up as we are. How many of you have been surprised when you, when you, like, you think the celebrity or whatever is so great and then you read something in the news about how messed up they are? Like, this happens all the time. We're always looking somewhere else, but the, the truth is that we all have this voice inside of our heads that is telling us we need to be more of something in order to be accepted, loved, and respected. We all have this voice. So I want to talk a little bit about a couple characters in the Bible this morning. And I love the Bible because uh, the guys in the Bible are messed up and they're not perfect. And I can look at them. I can read about them. I'm like, hi, I get that guy. Peter's one of those guys. Peter's one of those guys for me. When I read the Bible, I'm like, okay, Peter was, uh, he was a little, he was, he was messy. He made a lot of mistakes. Uh, and so I look at him and I feel great about myself. You see how I'm comparing myself? <laughs> So it's a start. At least I'm looking at the Bible. Uh, so we look at the Bible. We look at a guy named Peter. Uh, and if you read in John's gospel, you'll see uh, Peter's a pretty main, main character in John's gospel. And if you know anything about Peter, he's the guy who's always putting his foot in his mouth. He's the guy who's always over-promising, under-deliver. You know, and he's the one who wants to jump out of the boat and walk on water. He's the one. He's that kid in Sunday school class um, that always puts up his hands first, that has the right answer. And you're like, oh, I can't stand that kid. That's Peter. Uh, Peter's that guy. He's always trying to be better. He's always trying to be in the lead. He's racing people to the tomb. He's, he's, he's literally like wanting to be first all the time. That's the impression that you get when you, uh, read John's gospel and the other gospels. And so there's this, uh, there's a story where, where Peter is, is or Jesus talking to Peter and the other disciples. And, uh, and Jesus says, acknowledges that there's a time coming when some people are going to betray me. And Peter, being like the overachiever, is like, not me. I'll never, I'll never betray you, Jesus. That, I, I could never do that. Um, you know, these other disciples, the other hooligans, I'm, I'm sure they probably would. Uh, you know, Judas, he's, yeah, he's, uh, he's not going to make the cut. I can see that, but, you know, not me. And sure enough, Jesus says, you're going to deny me three times. And as you read the story, Jesus, or Peter denies Jesus Three times as Jesus gets arrested and goes to the cross and people are asking Peter, do you know this man? And Jesus is like, I, or Peter says, I don't know him. I have no idea who that is. I've never hung out with him. So over-promised, under-delivered. Uh, so Jesus gets crucified 
And the much to the disciples' surprise, even though they shouldn't have been surprised because Jesus told them, but Jesus gets resurrected. Uh, and there's this moment where Peter and the disciples are out fishing on the lake in John chapter 21. They're, they're fishing on the lake, and they're not catching anything. They're probably just talking about the events uh, that had happened a couple of days prior. Uh, and this man on the lake yells out, he's like, have you got anything? No, try throwing your net on the other side. And then they throw their net on the other side. They get this big haul. They realize this is Jesus talking to them from the beach. And so they, they get this big haul of fish. And Peter, wanting to be first, wanting to be the best, uh, jumps out of the boat. This is what I said. He jumps out of the boat to swim to shore to get to Jesus first. And leaves his disciple buddies to carry all the fish and bring the boat back into shore. Typical Peter. Uh, and so Peter gets to shore. And, uh, and Jesus knows that Peter denied him. And so Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Peter says, of course I love you. Peter asked him a second time, do you love me? He says, of course I love you. Jesus asked Peter a third time. By this time, Peter's really frustrated and he's hurt because he he realizes as jesus is asking him three times that he also denied jesus three times and he's feeling quite exposed and this is kind of the point that jesus is getting to he's saying if you love me then follow me and do what i've asked you to do is kind of a summary of what happens in john 21 so we get to this point in the story peter says lord you know all things you know that i love you uh jesus said well feed my sheep do what i've asked you to do and then Jesus says to Peter, very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are older, when you are old, you will stretch out your hand and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death which Peter would, would have to glorify God. And then he said to Peter, follow me. So Jesus says, look, Peter, if you love me, if you're going to follow me, uh, it's going to be difficult. There's some things coming that you need to be aware of. So Peter turned. Because Peter's been spending his whole life trying to be better than everybody else, trying to compare himself to everybody else. And it says, Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved, which was how John referred to himself. And he didn't say it, he didn't say it in an arrogant way. I think John was so convinced of the love of Jesus that it's an honest yeah, or maybe he was competing against Peter. Hey, Peter, the disciple that Jesus really loves. I don't know. Uh, he said, Peter turned and saw the disciple that Jesus loved, John, was following them. And this must have just irked him. Ugh, I got here first. Uh, when Peter saw him, when Peter saw John, he asked Jesus, what about him? If this is going to happen to me, what about him? And Jesus answered him, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? But you must follow me. And I think when we look at the story of Peter, we see ourselves. And Peter's tendency is always to look around, always to measure himself against the other disciples, always to try and be better, get there first, answer the right question. And Jesus, in this sobering moment, says, stop looking around. Stop looking at John. Stop wondering about where you are based on where everybody else is. You're, you have one job to do, and your job is not to look around, but to look at me. Your job is not to look around, but to look at me. And we all get caught in this comparison. And we can all get caught thinking, oh, you know, man, uh, if I was only this. You think, man, I suck. You know, the truth is you do suck. 
You suck at trying to be somebody else. You suck at comparing, you, you suck at trying to be like somebody else that you're comparing yourself to. Jesus says to Peter, stop comparing. I created you to be you. I created you to have a certain journey that's different than John's. Our culture tells us to look around, to acquire, to position ourselves based on where everybody everybody else is at. But Christianity, Jesus in particular, provides a different way of living. Jesus in particular provides a different way of understanding our worth and our value and our significance. And we see that he gives us an answer that is not given in any other religion and it's not given for sure in our culture. Jesus' way is different. And I want to talk about the second character, a guy named Paul. And Paul understood, he came to understand this different way. Uh, Paul, who was uh, earlier in his life was, was referred to by Saul, Saul uh, was very zealous. He's another competitive guy. He was, never, he was another overachiever. He was one of the most zealous of Pharisees one of the most zealous religious leaders at the time. In fact, he was so zealous as a Pharisee that he was working against Christianity when Christianity started. He was going out of his way. He was actually systemically persecuting and overseeing and organizing a movement against Christianity until he had an encounter with Jesus. Until there was something that switched his brain and his perspective and the way that he thought about God and thought about himself. And so when we listen to Paul talk about being loved and being valued and being accepted, this is the backdrop that Paul had. Someone who is completely opposed to God. Someone who is working against God. Someone who we would have written off and said, oh, he didn't make the cut. He came to understand something about his worth, something about his value that many of us still don't understand. And he talks about it in Galatians 4. In Galatians 4, he says, but when the time had fully, when, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. So let's just talk about this word law for a second. Uh, the law referring to the Old Testament or the Torah in, in particular. It's God's law. Uh, God's law is like basically a mirror that allows us to see ourselves more clearly. In fact, it becomes clear in the New Testament, as we read from the life of Jesus and on, that the law was never going to be something that you and I could accomplish. In fact, the law was set up by God, and we talk about measuring sticks. We, we tend to measure ourselves against other people. God set up the law to become a measuring stick to which we were to measure ourselves against. And person after person, generation after generation, found that they were falling short of this measuring stick over and over and over and over again. And that was exactly the point. God gave us this law for us to recognize that there is a moral standard, that there is a way of living that we are actually incapable of living. And so in that sense, we are below the measurement. We didn't make the cut. But that's not the end of the story. The only reason that God was doing that was that he could open our eyes and open our hearts back to him to recognize our need for him, to be in relationship with him so that he could actually communicate to us again our true value and our worth. So we shouldn't be surprised at this idea that we've fallen short. I mean, we've come up with our own laws and standards and we fall short of them 
all the time. Uh, we have a big pushback in our culture that pushes back against this idea of sin. But sin, is simply, sin simply means missing the mark. And we recognize through the law that we have missed the mark, that we didn't actually make the standard that there is a moral standard, and as our world goes increasingly more towards relative truth, we need to be careful. We need to be careful that we don't lose sight of God's law, of his standard, that he has an expectation for how we ought to live, that there is something universal about us as humans, the way we were designed to live. And so God creates this law. So we all fall short, that's what it says in Romans, we all fall short of the law, the glory of God, we weren't able to to live up to the standard. And it's kind of like God says, okay, now once you become aware, once you become aware of your need, once you become aware that you didn't quite make it, uh, let's bring in the next step. And so this is, this is what it says next. It says, God sent a son born of a woman, born under the law to redeem, to redeem those under the law. Now, this word redeem, we're familiar with it. We, we use this in our economy. The word simply means purchase by means of trade. Purchase by means of trade. There's something of value that you give to get something back. Um, and so do you know what determines the value of a thing? This is a really important question that we need to think about this morning. What determines the value of a thing? The thing that determines the value of a thing is the price that it will bring. And right now I'm trying to sell one of my kids mountain bikes in order to buy a bike to get another one because they keep growing and it's frustrating. I'm like, I just got you that bike. So um, we're in, you know, I'm trying to put the value of it on Facebook marketplace and I'm trying to assess the value of a different bike for him on Facebook marketplace. And I'm getting low ball after low ball. Hey, I'll give you this much. I'll give you this much. And some people are offering me like half the price I left it for, um, and on the other side, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, get these prices close, right? So I can just do a straight over swap. Uh, but the battle that's happening is trying to assess the value of what I have versus the value of what I'm trying to get for my son. Now, what determines the value of those things? Well, the, the value of those things is determined by how much somebody is willing to pay for one. I could say to this person, it's not that valuable. I'm not going to pay that. But if you find somebody else that's willing to pay that, it is that valuable. Uh, many of you guys know this. If you tried to buy a house, you look, at, you look in the real estate market, and you're trying to sell your house, and you value your house here. And you think the house you're trying to get is here. The problem is the person you're trying to sell it from values it here. And you're saying, is it worth that? Well, it is worth that if someone's willing to pay that. The value of something is determined by the price of the return, by the price somebody's willing to give to something. The only way that we understand our value is actually to auction ourselves off to the highest bidder to see what kind of return we could get. And friends, this is the gospel. This is the good news. The good news is that your value was set at such a price that God sent his only son to purchase and redeem you. That is the good news. Your value, the ep- this is the epicenter of the Christian message. This is the invitation of Jesus, 
is to recognize that your value was set when Jesus gave his life for you on the cross. And here we are looking around wondering, where's, you know, where's my value? How valuable am I? And Jesus says to us, like he said to Peter, stop looking around. Look at me. Paul is telling us, look at what has happened. That God has redeemed us. That he has bought us with a price. The price of his son. To redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption to sonship. Now, in the ancient world, they didn't understand adoption the way that we do. And um, I didn't realize this, but they, they actually didn't have an adoption practice when this was written uh, the way that we have it. You know, now we, we have adoption. We understand that in a certain way. Uh, the Romans actually had an ad- adoption practice, uh, but they didn't adopt babies uh, because babies didn't clean up after themselves. Uh, babies couldn't speak. No, they, they didn't adopt babies because babies would and probably... Would die an earlier death, and they didn't know if they were going to make it, and so it was a better investment to adopt an adult. So the practice in Rome was actually the adoption of adult people. Some of you are getting ideas. Oh, this makes better sense. You know, you waited to see how somebody would turn out to decide: Do I want them in my family? Do I not want them in my family? Oh, there's an overachiever. Let's adopt them. So this is the context that Paul is talking about this in, uh, in Galatians chapter 4. Uh, and, and actually an interesting story, Caesar Augustus, whom you're, you might be familiar with from the Christmas story in the time of Caesar Augustus, you know, that's how the, God, uh, the beginning of that story uh, starts. Uh, so Caesar Augustus was the first Caesar, and he wanted to pass on, uh, you know, the reign to somebody in his own family, but there was one problem, he didn't like any of his kids. He looked around and was like, no, 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 I guess I got to adopt somebody else. And so he, he went and he found who we would know as Tiberius Caesar uh, and adopted Tiberius Caesar and wait for it when Tiberius was 40 years old. He thought, oh, there's a guy that, you know, he's got it together. Okay, 40, probably safe bet. I'm going to entrust Rome to Tiberius Caesar. But if we actually scale back, this is what Paul is saying, that God, when God adopted you, this is the worldview at the time. They weren't thinking, oh, you know, God adopted me as a cute little innocent baby who hadn't done anything wrong, hadn't messed anything up. That is not the picture that Paul is giving. The picture that Paul is giving is that God has adopted you knowing full well who you are, the mistakes that you've made, the past that you have. All of the things that you think you're below average in, God has adopted you. He sees it all. That he has bought you with a price. That the value of, the, the value of you was set when he bought you with his own son. Knowing everything you know about yourself, God knows those things too and more, and he still bought you and me. This is the beautiful good news of Jesus. Now, you may be wondering, why do I have Play-Doh up here? Uh, I just remember when I was little, I loved Play-Doh. Anybody love Play-Doh? Loved it? I love, you know the new Play-Doh? This is new Play-Doh. You know the way it smells? You were, and you ate it, didn't you? Some of, 
Some of you ate it, you were like, oh, that smells good. And the taste never quite lived up to the, the way it smelled. Um, but let's just imagine for a second that you're, you're like Plato, that God created you yellow. And it was all yellow. A uh, little cold play there? No. Um, everything in your life was yellow. It was all yellow. And then you started looking around. And you're like, man, green. I kind of like green. You know, as a little kid, you're like, green, that's the color of the lawn. Better than my neighbor's lawn, because you dreamt about that when you were a kid. Um, that's the color of the mountains. That's the, the color of the things that I love. I'm not sure I really like yellow as much as I like green. So I'm going to just add, I'm going to add a little bit of green into my life. And then you look around and you saw orange. And you're like, hmm, orange smells better than yellow. Uh, you know, I like orange. That's like the color of sunsets. You know, sun rises. That's the color of pumpkin. You know, we are getting into October, pumpkin spice latte. I love pumpkin spice latte. I just want a little bit of that in my life too. If I could just, if I could just add that a little bit in my life. And then you saw pink, and you're like, pink wasn't really my color when I was younger. But, you know, as I got older, it's kind of like this wild, like, you're cool. Uh, you're a little different, but I can, I can get with that pink. Yeah. And you, you started to add a little bit of pink, and then you saw purple, and you were thinking, Barney? Like, I love Barney. And then as you got older, you're like, not only Barney, but the Raptors, Toronto Raptors. And you thought, you know, the Raptors are going to be a good team one day. So you just, you just start, to, you start to mix it all in together. And as you're growing up, you start to hear voices like, if you were only like your sister... If you could just do a little bit better at this, if your grades were a little bit better than they are, did you look at yourself in the mirror before you left? Your voice is so annoying. I don't know if you're cool enough to hang out with us. Or that breakup, you know, it's not me, it's you. Or it's not you, it's me, but you know full well it's you. And we start to take on all of these other things that, we get, that we've picked up from people around us. And all of a sudden, we get to a point in our life where we look at ourselves, and you're not you anymore. You're not sure you see a whole lot of yellow left. And in fact, you're not even quite sure who you were supposed to be anyways. It just happens over time. This is what happens when we look around. Paul had an encounter with Christ that changed everything. He understood his value, not based on comparing himself to others, but comparing himself to the price that he was bought for. And then he goes on in Galatians to say, And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer slave, but you're God's own child. And the word Abba, Father, in Hebrew means dad or daddy. And this is the counter, this is the, the revolutionary gospel of Jesus that is counter to everything in culture, to any other religion, that we get to call the creator of the universe, Father. 
So when you're looking for your value, you don't look around, you look up. If you want to know what you're worth, you don't look around, you look up. And it seems so simple, yet so many of us struggle to do this. You will never have peace and contentment in in your life until you accept God's estimation of you based on the price that he paid for you. Once we actually get a hold of the idea that God paid this for me, it gives you intrinsic value that no matter what's happening around you, you actually never have to question, what am I worth? Am I acceptable? Am I respectable? Am I lovable? Because God's answered that question with a resounding yes because of the price that he paid for you. Now, I tell my boys every day that I love you. Every single day. You know, my oldest is 15. He's heard that at least once a day, 15 years times 365. I love you. In fact, I dropped him off at school, at high school, and I yell out the window, I love you! Uh, No, I don't do that. Uh, But I tell them every day. You know, to the point, you know, they're probably annoyed with it a little bit. Uh, In fact, one of my my kids, I say, uh, every day I say, I love you. And they say, I love you more. And I say, not possible. That's our little banter every single day. Not possible. Um, I don't know how long they'll say I love you back, but that's irrelevant I want my boys to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that their dad, their Abba Father, loves them without question. That their intrinsic value is not based on what they did that day. I mean, there's been days where I just, I just, ugh, what a, I just, so frustrated with them. But it doesn't change the fact that I love them. I love you. I love you more. Not possible. And maybe this morning, you hear the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit whispering to you, I love you. And it would be impossible for me to love you anymore. And maybe it's something that you haven't been paying attention to, but I guarantee you, he wants to speak that into your life every single day. He wants to save you from the comparison trap because there's no one in comparison and you will never understand your true value and your true worth. God loves you so much that he gave his only son. That is what you are worth. Let's respond and sing together. Now as I ended, I was talking about how I say I love you to my kids every day, which is true, Um, but I don't want to make it sound like I'm a perfect parent, because I am not. Um, I have lots of struggles as a parent, Uh, but we all have this intuitive sense that a good parent is someone that wouldn't compare themselves, wouldn't compare their kids to other kids. They would accept and love their kids just because they're theirs. You understand what I'm saying? And so even good parents understand that. Even if you're a parent like me that struggles, you understand that your kid is unique and that the goal of of a parent is actually to love your kids because they're your kids and to know that love isn't dependent on any kind of measurement that's around them but on how you view them. Now, 
the scriptures tell us that God is perfect, that he is our perfect heavenly father, that he is our Abba father, that he is our dad. And so when he looks at you, do you think there's any ounce of a chance that he is looking at you and he's basing your value of you based on those around you? Not a chance. Not a chance. When our father looks at us, he's not looking around us. He's looking at us. And he's saying, this is how much I value. I purchased your life with my son. Now, as you go into your week, I'm going to throw some questions on the screen. Um, I won't go go into them now, but I would invite you just to take a screenshot of these questions. Uh, They can be helpful as your prayer times in the morning or your devotional times or maybe your home group. uh, Just to keep digging deeper. Uh, into into this and untangling ourselves from the comparison trap. So I encourage you to screenshot that. Um, and before I pray to close, I just want to remind you that we have prayer teams available at the front after service. Uh, we would love to pray with you about anything that might be going on in your life or anything you're celebrating, anything you're working through, um, anything that you're feeling heavy about. Uh, we would love to pray with you and I encourage you to take that opportunity. Let's pray now. Father, we thank you that you are... Abba, that we can call you Father, that you are Dad. Lord, we thank you that you went to such extreme lengths so that we would know, that we would know, that we know, that we know that you love us. You went to such extreme lengths so that we would see vividly the price that you were willing to pay for us to be in your family, to be your children. Lord, we all have things around us that we are we are tied to, that we're caught in comparison with, that we are tying our identity and our worth and our value to, would you show us the way that that's robbing us? That there's no win in comparison. May you loosen our grip on the things that we have around us. Lord, may we, like you said to Peter, may we learn to look at you, to follow you and not look around ourselves. Lord, there's some in this room this morning Uh, that they've been told lies from people that they trusted, from people that they loved, and they believe these lies, and they've bought into this idea that they were unacceptable, they weren't respectable, that they weren't lovable for whatever reason. Father, we pray that you would break those chains, that you would break those lies this morning in the name of Jesus, and they would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they have intrinsic, eternal value that will not change because you're theirs, and they're yours. We thank you for this. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for coming. We'll see you next week.